the sentences have to sink in. And I bet that that's probably something you find when people are selling or in business. It's not a new idea, but when it was my book and my words, I didn't have that understanding that it needed to be slower. This is a very important conversation between this wisdom character and this little girl. They are there for transformation. And that doesn't happen like this. You have to take in both parts. And that's what you're all about is it's a conversation. And you're meeting them and you're connecting and you're showing you see the person and you're willing to be seen. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy to have you with me today, as always. And boy, do I have an incredible episode for you today. I'm doing something different in today's episode, something that I don't think you've ever heard me do before, which is coach someone live on on the episode from the perspective of psychology of the voice and how they are putting their book on tape. And I know it's not tape. I know it's a, a recording. Now, if you listened to the Psychology of the Voice podcast, or if you've heard some of the episodes that I've rolled over from that show that I am not doing right now, you've heard me dissect voices live on air, tell people how they're being processed in the subconscious of the listener. But this is different. I have a former student of mine who I love and adore. She is absolutely brilliant, and I enjoyed my time with her so much. When we were working together, she had finished writing her book, and it was actually off to the publisher, and now she has the book. We talk about the book. I have a copy of, I have two copies of the book. It's an amazing book, and we've spent some time dialoguing about, and and even in our time working together, working on the voices of these characters. And when I teach people to put books on tape, if you will, I'm going to call it books on tape. I teach them from the perspective of psychology of the voice, which means they are not performing. They are not acting. They are not becoming slick broadcasters. And I think this is really important and very different than how many people are taught to put their books on tape. Many people are taught the old school way. The old school way, 25 years ago, when I was coaching voices for people that were in the voiceover industry, it was different. If you are recording a book and you perform it, or if you have only one note to your voice, So many of the things that I work on here, your book is not going to be as successful 
on tape, and I will tell you why. So many people over the years have said to me, I have to check the preview because so many voices of people that are putting their books on tape, I can't listen to. And sometimes it is because the person is maybe they're stuck in a high pitch the whole time or they talk really fast or they're completely monotone. But one of the biggest reasons that people tell me that they don't buy books on tape is because the person who wrote the book hired a voiceover artist and there is no connection. Zero connection, only performance. And so part of my mission is for anyone that comes to work with me and is doing a book, is doing something like this, that I literally plug it in from the perspective of psychology of the voice. One of the characters in Rosalind's book, and it's just been a blast to work with her, is so incredibly nuanced that I really get to do what I love the most. And, I, and of course, I love all my work, but I really get to lean in and find the microscopic nuances of this person, of this character, of this role, which is really a real person. And that's what we're doing in today's episode. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about Rosalind and her work and so many amazing things. But you are going to get to hear me for a big chunk of the episode, coach her live to find the nuances of these characters. There's always another level. There is always another layer. I met Rosalind when I joined Sarah Connell's program and Many of you remember Sarah Connell came on the show and I talk about her sometimes. Her book on tape, I worked with her on that and it's phenomenal. We talked about her book when she was on the show. Rosalind's book on tape is going to be phenomenal because they are so connected. They are so grounded. They are bringing so much nuance to the table. But that's where I got to meet Rosalind. That's where she came to me. After that, that's where we did some work together. And I just love her. And I know you're going to love her too. I want you to go buy the book. The book is, well, I don't want to, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow the episode where we talk about it, but the roads of the book are very intertwined with the roads that lead to freedom in the voice. Now, Rosalind's had an extraordinary career. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a best-selling author. Rosalind Rourke, MSW, has worked deeply in the field of mental health and trauma therapy as a psychotherapist. With a master's degree from Smith College School for Social Work in 1973, she embarked on a distinguished career that included supervisory roles in Yale psychiatric facilities. Her expertise further expanded as she immersed herself in trauma work, particularly eye movement desensitization reprogramming. Some of you may know that as EMDR, which is a highly effective PTSD treatment. In 1995, she pursued advanced training in eating disorders, focusing on binge eating and body dysmorphia. An avid learner, 
Rosalind's professional and personal journey into transformation led her to the Enneagram, where she studied under renowned mentors such as Tom Condon, Don Riso, and Russ Hudson, among others. Her influential work extends to the literary realm with her best-selling book, When Wisdom Arrives, From Imagined Unworthiness to Freedom. Rosalind continues to inspire and empower individuals on their path to self-discovery and freedom as a oneness coach. To join Rosalind in breaking free from intergenerational trauma, you can contact her at rosalindrourke.com. I'm going to put that link in the show notes, as well as a link where you can buy the book from Amazon. And on her website, you're going to find dedicated meditations and a Q&A to help you experience quantum belonging. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's one of the core things that I talk about in Psychology of the Voice is sense of belonging, rejection, abandonment, judgment, worthiness, all of it plays into how we use our voice. You can follow her on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. But for now, let's head on over to the show. Rosalind, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. You know, listeners, you are in for maybe the biggest treat that you've ever had because Rosalind is, well, first of all, she's amazing and special and wonderful, and she's here to talk with us about her book, but we had this little chat before we started, and we're going to do something that I think you've never heard me do on the show before, and I know it's going to be so valuable. I had the opportunity to meet Rosalind, like I said in the intro, in a group that we're both in. And then we had a super special opportunity to do a little bit of work with her. And the primary focus of why I wanted her to come on the show is she's accomplished something amazing in a new book. And so I'm going to just turn this over to you for just a minute, Rosalind. I want you to tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about what you do. And maybe go ahead and start diving into why you wanted to write this book. Yeah, Tracy, maybe I'll start there because what I do is very different from what I used to do. Mm -hmm. And why I wrote this book is about my journey, but also my daughter's journey. I have a 39-year-old daughter who left this world at that age unexpectedly. I like to think, I think of her in the present tense. So it's a little hard to to know exactly how to talk about her without confusing people. But she did die and I had to make friends with that word. People of my spiritual, psychological ilk use the word transition to kind of let on what we believe philosophically or softer words. And that's not how the world sees it. The world sees it as she died. And so I had to come to terms with that. And it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't hurt. So we had a very rough journey, my daughter and I, about weight issues 
And it turned out we knew all the time, but we couldn't stop it. Neither of us could stop it. It was an ancestral theme of mothers judging daughters on their size. And it's so crazy because it was kind of on me, that that legacy with my mother and on my daughter before we became fat. I was an obese child. She became obese. But it happened before we were fat because of the ancestral legacy in our genes, in our psychology. So it was always one daughter that was picked out Mm. to worry about. And I was a psychotherapist for more than 30 years. I knew better. I kept searching psychological, spiritual programs because I knew it wasn't okay and I couldn't stop. But luckily, stop judging her. And she was in pain. It was awful to see the results of hurting someone you love and not being able to stop. You think, well, if you see them hurting, you should stop. And it didn't help that I wouldn't, I I never said anything. I I never said a word. She could hear my thoughts. I mean, it would be even literal. She'd be eating something in the kitchen and I'd walk in, not say one word. And she'd say, you think I shouldn't be eating that? And that was exactly the words I was thinking. So, you know, it's a look. It's very much the work that you teach. We can share in our voice. We can share in a look. We presence what's going on, whether we talk about it or not. So we had a very rough journey. And then as life would have it, I had my own wisdom character. I visited someone who is the foremost mystical teacher in Ireland She wrote Angels in My Hair, Lorna Byrne. And I had never been interested one way or the other in angels. We were making this random trip to Ireland and a teacher gave me this book. It wasn't a class on angels, wasn't religious. She said, read this book. I read the book and I was so taken with this woman. So to make a long story short, we visited her. And there was something, I won't try to describe why, I'll let your readers imagine with their own minds what happened. But she is a very gentle, soft-spoken person. And the way I heard her words, they weren't loud. Again, it's what your meaning is, what you can transpire through your words, through your energy. She said, you must stop worrying about Melissa. She never spoke of my other daughter. She said, you will be sick. You will be decrepit if you do not stop worrying. She examined my body energetically. She said, you're fine now, but you won't be. And why did I stop there? I mean, I had all the reasons to stop for years, but You know, there's no answer, but I did stop. And my husband and I, we were both present, never compared notes about her, never worried about her. If a thought started to come, I didn't finish it. It just stopped right there. 
And luckily, we had more than a year together in this new way. She felt it all. I told her what Lorna said, but she felt the difference in me. So much so that on the day that she died, and I did not know she was dying, she said, I won the lottery when I got you for a mom. She would never have said that two years earlier. You know, we did our forgiveness. I apologized. I did everything a smart psychotherapist, loving mother could do. Mm -hmm. But she changed in that last year before she died after Lorna. She became a person who didn't hold unworthiness. She became a person with power, a person who knew she had a message. She was very transformed in the world. I, I can't explain it all. You can't explain the energy a person has, but from being kind of on the meek side and withdrawn to being a force, a powerhouse in a kind and gentle way. She kept those ways. But so I feel lucky, even though some would say I'm unlucky, that I got to have this because many people can't get out of grief because they go over the past. I should have done this. If I'd only, what if I didn't? You know, why did this happen? You know, so on. That's what. Part of what keeps people stuck. Mm -hmm. It does. It really, it really does. And I find this fascinating. I've never heard you talk about it this way. I've actually don't know that I've ever heard you talk about this piece much at all. I've gleaned so much from reading the book myself and I love the book, but I think the generational piece is fascinating and so incredibly true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. real. Yeah, so real. And so, so compulsive. Your mind, you know, not everybody, but in our culture, people worship the mind. But my mind saw everything with complete mm -hmm. insight and I could not stop. Mm -hmm. And it was done to me by my mother. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know the hurt, you know, until it was done. And I do believe in a larger force bringing us together like weather. We're not in charge of the weather. And we like to think of ourselves as in charge of our lives. But how did I meet you? How did I meet the person that we're both working with? You know, I never looked anybody up on the web. I never did it. Mm -hmm. I fell into everything that was to come. And actually that has helped me in my grief. Mm. It has, I don't question that she was supposed to die. I don't question it at all. I accept it because I don't fight with what is at all. Rosalind, do you think that is a little bit like the concept that I teach about. And I agree with you. I have often been criticized by business coaches specifically that have said, you really shouldn't try to accommodate people's schedules. Because when I do a group, as you know, I get everybody's best time. And I say, no, I have to, because when they get here, this is their time to be here. 
And that is something that I want to do. It's not about me. It's about, okay, this group of two people, six people, four people, they need me now. Yes. That is a tiny, tiny thing to do. But something I hear you saying that's so powerful, what you're saying about you knew that she was supposed to die. And I believe that everything is always working out even if it feels so tragic, would that be the same thing in your mind? The only thing I take exception to a little bit, it's exactly, but I talk about the isness rather than it working out Mm. because that's too close to the people I work with are advanced spiritual students. They've done a Mm -hmm. course of miracles for years. They've done non-duality. And I find that my people come to me when they're not getting the joy and the pleasure or the freedom or the peace that their path promises. Mm. And A Course in Miracles, a lot of Christian, other groups, other paths say things are for your good. You just don't know it yet. And the good brings up the polarity of the bad. Mm -hmm. So, And then it springs up the mind to struggle. Where is my good? Where is it working out? Is it working out yet? But the isness, Mm -hmm. there's no polarity in the isness. It just is. Mm -hmm. And that tug of war, that illustration I have in the book, that's like my main teaching because it helps with every subject. If I don't fight cancer, That sounds terrible. You're supposed to fight cancer. No, I can have a new moment that's not cancerous. Mm -hmm. Not busy fighting the diagnosis from yesterday. Mm -hmm. You're stuck when you fight. And I think anything we can do to keep the mind out of it, the mind will do its good job. It knows how to do all the things we need for the world. Doesn't need our help. But you need some help to quiet it down from trying to control everything. And it has limited offerings. And the proof of that is I couldn't have been more trained, a trauma specialist, eating disorder specialist, (laughs) mind, the personality, knew everything. But until it was my time. And, you know, when that woman talked to me, I no longer had any shame. Tracy, I never thought about this until this moment. But I was always ashamed, you know, being a psychotherapist and I'm doing this to my daughter and she's Mm -hmm. so obese. And she walks in a room and everybody knows I've done something wrong and they're right. They're right. But when she said there was no shame, it was the isness. You Mm -hmm. have to stop this. This moment, you know, I got a new moment because I was, shame is a way of fighting what is. It's saying I'm not good enough. I need to be good enough. Mm. I need to hammer at myself. I need to be better. No, I just had a not good enough feeling is different than I'm not good enough. So good, Rosalind. And also what you're talking about feels like this thing that I'm talking about right now based on some new research. If I'm trying to get you to like me, I already have a problem. I believe you don't like me. Yes. I need to undo what's happening. Yes. And it's a fight. 
Now I'm in fight with getting you to like me. My struggle is liking. My support is like totally with you. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come to decide or get the revelation or the download? Or how did the book come about? Well, you're going to love this. I know. I was in in a TEDx group. And how did I get to the TEDx group? Okay, she died. I was hearing from her. You could say it's my higher self. It doesn't matter what I was hearing. But the kind of hearing I was getting was something come in my email. And I would hear, do this. Take that class. So something came in my email. And it said, breaking your glass ceiling. And I heard, take this class. I said, I don't have a glass ceiling. I'm retired. I don't even make any money. So I don't have a glass ceiling. I do anything I want. And it was, and I heard it, take this class. So I take the class and I'm so bored. It's not for me. It's not, this woman's talking about her eating disorder. And I want to write to her and and say, if you want to be an expert, you're going to have to stop calling it mine. You have to talk about it as the eating disorder, not mine. You're owning it, your identities. And I'm so bored. I'm talking to these people like I'm the expert. And why am I here? And then Taylor Conroy comes on. And he's the famous TEDx person, has the most people that he's ever, that anybody's ever gotten on a TEDx show. And he's on YouTube. You probably all heard of him. And he isn't even the man he is today. He's the earlier version. It was maybe six years ago, and he's changed a lot in the last six years. But six years ago, he was talking about the schools he built in Africa through TEDx. Mm-hmm. And I went, TEDx, oh, that is a glass ceiling. That's for other people. I'm retired. What am I going to talk about on a TED? Like, that's, I said, oh, I get why I'm here. Mm. So I, of course, I joined the TEDx, his TEDx program. And I'm writing a TEDx proposal. I got it passed. They interview you to see if you can join their program. And they have different prices depending on how much they want you. And they gave me a great, it's like very, <laughs> I got this great price and they wanted me. And I, I wrote my proposal, went through their program. And I would say now my TEDx proposal was a little bit dense. Mm. And Sarah came on to talk about books. And she said, who's written a book or who wants to write a book? And every single hand went up, but mine, but mine. <laughs> And this is exactly what we were earlier talking about. It wasn't the mind that decided. So she gave us a free week to her retreat. Mm -hmm. And it was during COVID. So we could do it on, I didn't have to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I could stay home. Now I still had an attitude. I didn't want to write a book, but this person who was great, I really liked her. She was amazing. So I said, well, I'll go to her. I'll clear my calendar, go to this thing. I go there with the worst attitude again. I'm late. I'm I'm here. (laughs) I'm mesmerized. And I realize, oh, my God, I have to write this book. Mm -hmm. I have to write this book. I have a story to tell. 
and I must write it to represent Melissa. Right now, I feel like I'm not promoting the book. I'm representing Melissa, and I am sharing a profound, different kind of grief trajectory where a person can have a bigger life after the death of a beloved. And it does not dishonor the person. It honors them. We are taught that if you love them, you're going to hurt and suffer. That they were told that's what grief is. It's how much you love the person is how much you hurt. And when she died and I heard that, was like, no, that's not true. That's a taboo. And I'm not living that way. I don't know how to live another way. But, you know, obviously I've been shown. So it's a kind of quirky story. That's great. And then you wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And I think the book was finished about the time that we started working together. I think it was already at the publisher. It was at the publisher. I had the manuscript, but it wasn't out yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which it is out and it is amazing. And we are, I will link it up in the show notes. And I highly encourage everyone to get the book because the story is, it's really about worthiness. Yeah. Which I have found in voice work. So many of the roads, if not all of them lead to our worth. What we hear behind you there. I know it's right there. It's absolutely right there. And I love it. And it's beautiful. And in a little bit of our time together, we had the opportunity to start diving into how you were going to voice these characters. And I think, so what we're going to do is Rosalind's going to read a little bit of the book, but I want to tell you something that she said that I thought was so powerful before we started recording. And I want you to touch on the story. You've got the book, you're going to record the book, and you've gone to this book group. You've gone, and I want you to talk about having other people read your work out loud. Yeah. Well, it was very pleasurable to hear anybody voicing these words and taking their meaning. I could hear from their voice what they were hearing, and it might not even be what I intended. So that was extremely pleasurable. But then I realized once I gave them both voices, there's a wisdom character and there's an 11-year-old. And at first I did the wisdom character, and then I let both characters be voiced by people And I realized I was doing it too quickly, that there were no pauses. And when they were slow, I was like, hurry up. And I was like, no, no, you slow down. They're they're doing right. So I thought, well, I'm probably going to have to get off caffeine and then (laughs) kind of calm myself down because the sentences have to sink in. And I bet that that's probably something you find when people are selling or in business, they're probably don't let, I mean, it's never been my kinesthetic experience. I, pro- mm-hmm. I know I 
there was a young man. We listened to somebody he admired. And both of us were like, oh, couldn't hit. It was hitting us. It was so fast. Yeah. Remember that? Uh-huh. So it's not a new idea, but it, when it was my book and my words, I didn't have that understanding that it needed to be slower. Yeah. This is a very important conversation between this wisdom character and this little girl. They are there for transformation. And that doesn't happen like this. You have to take in both parts. And that's what you're all about is it's a conversation with mm -hmm. people. And you're meeting them and you're connecting and you're showing you see the person and you're willing to be seen. That's and what I take from your work. Exactly. And there's so much in what you just said there, because we live in this world where the number of people that have come and said, well, I talk really fast because somebody told me I had to talk fast because nobody's going to listen to me if I talk fast. And we want this silver bullet thing. Okay, what's going to get me the thing the fastest? And so what I hear and what you're saying is that's a totally wrong approach. Because they can't even listen to you when you're hammering out speed and words. And there's no opportunity for connection that way. And we see it now because the research says that people are desperate for connection. Well, we've been hammering at them for however long to get their attention. And so there's a lot of irony that's not lost on me in what you're saying about those characters and their lives and the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I have to have a moment to know who you are to learn from you. And we just don't, I mean, it just even beyond the book and the reading of the book, we don't do that as humans and we must. Yes, I'm hearing you. And when I'm thinking back to the reading that the people did, they were pausing to take in the other person mm -hmm. and what they said. So they're taking in the beingness, the, almost the history of that person, everything they come to this moment with. Even their genealogy, you know, like what they're, they can't say it, but they're taking all that in. And then their pauses were really taking in the words. Mm -hmm. So while I was like, come on, <laughs> hi, this is a show. I'm thinking this is, I want to hear how it's going to be. And thank God I had that experience because now I won't read it on Audible like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and if the editor comes in and say, snap it up, mm -mm. I don't go ahead. Mm -mm. You know, I think Jim has moments of quickness mm -hmm. because she's 11. And because of the way you've written her, it's about alignment, mm. I think, is really, it's about alignment. Mm -hmm. And you are wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that alignment of you, mind, body, and voice is what we have to bring to wisdom. And so faster doesn't align with who wisdom is at all. But there were times that I would have read Jim faster. And, mm. and she had to take in 
a whole lot of new ideas. She mm-hmm. is fast and she's almost smart alecky and her in a wonderful way, the way she gives it back. That's not a gift. I don't see that. Huh? But but when she wasn't there, she was really deeply processing. Mm-hmm. So I need to find those moments. Well, and you know, Rosalind, she is going to read some of it and I'm going to tell her what I think. And that's going to be really fun. But she's got this very interesting thing in these two characters that I often talk about with all of you. And not in relation to a book. I talk about when you go to talk to the boss, when you go to do a video, you have to play all these shades of who you are. You can't just rattle it off in one note. And so when Rosalind is talking about Jim, those shades were easy to find because she's quick and she's funny and then she's deeply processing and and all of those were easier to find. But then we have this beautiful character named Wisdom who has different shades of wisdom. And that is in all of us. I don't think Wisdom is a character that has all these crazy different things going on. She's got so much depth and different levels of depth. And to voice that is so impactful, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the challenge. That's Mm -hmm. the challenge I came to you for because I can get the kindness. I can get the brilliance. But I was struggling for, well, what else? Does she she have a past? Because she didn't. A mythical character, but I think her responses to Jim could be more layered. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear some of it. Let's hear some. Have you already selected a piece that I you want to read? Because, well, you tell me. The, the reason I was going to choose the beginning was so that our listeners would have some sense of their relationship. Yeah. Like, how they met later on it's juicier in the conversation where jim says i don't get that that's makes yeah. no sense so i like the beginning because i think the beginning is the hardest and the most important okay mm-hmm. so there's only one paragraph in the book that's a kind of narrator oh right i knew there was, I was thinking there was a narrator just only a paragraph i yeah. I, I cheated the writing rules by Okay. Once there was a girl named Jim who wondered why her mom scrunched her eyebrows at herself every time she looked in the mirror. One day, when Jim scrunched her eyebrows at her own reflection, an image of an old woman appeared in the mirror. Who are you? Where'd you come from? My name's Wisdom, and I come when people need another way to understand what's going on with their feelings and thoughts. And at this point, Jim is looking in the mirror. How do you know what's going on with people? It's my job and my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. What's a heart connection? 
Have you ever started talking to someone and they understand you so deeply that you feel like you've always known them? No, not really. I don't really have any friends. I talk to myself and sometimes to Sissy, but she's younger and doesn't understand how I feel about things. She's skinny and can't understand what I go through. I heard you ask the mirror why your mommy scrunches her eyebrows when she looks at herself. Jim, your question made me want to visit you. May I answer your question? If you know the answer, yes. I want to hear. Should we go on or stop there? Okay, let's stop. Let's talk about this for a minute. Really, really good. Here's a couple of thoughts that I have. I don't know if I've ever heard you do the narrator. And I don't remember hearing you do the narrator. We spent a lot of time on, on mostly wisdom, but some on Jim. What, what is the narrator? I want to move the narrator beyond narration. I want to move the narrator beyond fact. Because the narrator is interpreting the feelings of the character she's talking about. So when she says, here's a very specific line that I want something different on. The little girl scrunched her eyebrows. Okay, let's think about this. What was Jim thinking when she scrunched her eyebrows? Was she thinking, huh, that's weird. Was she thinking, what was Jim thinking? She was so aligned with her mother. Ah, okay. She, she didn't even know she was doing it too, or she knew it, but it was the way to be. It's like how a child introjects a parent. It was, you know, we know the word projection, where we uh, see something in ourselves in someone else. This is the opposite. But I was, Usually it's only psychologically that you take in a parent, but here was the physical counterpart. She was copying out of love. You know, that's what this intergenerational thing, it's not a hate, yeah. it's a love thing. Okay. I want that clear in that line because I was interpreting it differently. And I think there is a way to make it it's almost, well, how do you feel about that? About her scrunching the eyebrows? Is it? I feel like, okay, of course she is. Of course, that's how it goes. That's how we take in our parents. We don't have a critical, oh, gee, this isn't a good idea if I do what she's doing. We don't have that. Okay, so let's think about this narrator as Rosalind in having this conversation with me. Because the way you're talking to me about it has a clearer impact. It has different voice choices in it. Is that making sense? No, because I'm not quite sure why you saw what you or heard what you. <laughs> okay, go back to the line about scrunching her eyebrows. So I think this is the line. One day when Jim scrunched her eyebrows at her own reflection, an image of an old woman appeared in the mirror. Okay. And the old woman is wisdom? That was wisdom. Yeah. Okay. 
So there's more things happening in that line. That line right now has the same vocal value. And I want you to think about the different shades of what is happening in that line. So the last piece of it, even though it's the narrator, if you think about your actually narrating Jim's response, is there curiosity? Is there shock? Is yeah. there... Oh. Oh. Okay. So those are some of the sounds of the, like the rep, this narrator being representative of what's going on in feeling. I want to hear that in the narrator. Uh huh. So would you say that when I start and say once there was a girl named Jim, that can be kind of flat? Yes. You know, we're it just, can be for sure. We're mm -hmm. just giving information. Now, who wondered why her mom scrunched her eyebrows at herself every time. That feels important to me. Yeah. It's not that sometimes she didn't like this outfit or, you know. Every time, yeah. Every time she looked in the mirror. And then maybe a little pause one day when Jim scrunched her eyebrows at her own reflection an image of an old woman appeared in the mirror. You see how much more dimension there is in that? And I'm kind of excited and scared myself. Yeah. A woman appeared in the mirror. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I'll send, send you the video and you can go back and listen to that part. And, and you're going to see how that first one was too close in value. And now you're painting a picture for me. You're teeing the whole thing up for me vocally as the narrator. Wow. I, in a million years, Tracy, I could have studied and studied and I'm smart, but I never would have come up with this. <laughs> well, this is this is my zone. I'm in my zone. Got you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that was my note on the narration. Mm -hmm. Now let me jump down to another note that I had. I'm going to skip one note. I'm going to jump down to when Jim says. I don't have any friends. Mm -hmm. Okay. I need something clearer on that. I need to know the exact feeling. Is she mad about it? Is she sad about it? You gave me more sadness and despondency on the line that followed, but I think I need something bigger and clearer on I don't have any friends. I'm giving you a big permission slip. Those feelings are here. You have room to play them bigger. Yeah, she's mad and she's mad. Okay. She's both. So sad was clear. Mad wasn't. So what happened was by the second line, so I don't really have any friends. I'm not trying to put any emotion in. After those words were said, that's when I got sadder about how I talked to myself. So hearing myself say, I don't okay. have friends. The mad, later on, I know she's mad. But right now, it was a fact that I hadn't really taken in that I don't talk to anybody. Because she said heart connection. And now it's just dawning on me as Jim 
that I really don't have any friends. And not only that, I don't talk to anybody but Sissy and she doesn't count. Okay. So then what I want on this, I don't have any friends because there is a little tinge of mad that wasn't fully clear. So that's what I picked up. That line to me then feels like reveal in the moment, almost like you're discovering it in that moment. And I've never said it to anyone. I've never even said it out loud. Okay. Okay. I feel like what I hear you saying is it's a realization and then the whiplash comes after. A realization, but not in the way where she's so conscious of it. It's just a, she's in process. She's awakening to her situation that she's maybe tried to eat about or tell a story about, but not be in the moment of what her situation is. It's really not about her mother. It's about friends. It's about her age and feeling acceptable and not wanting to know that, that she doesn't feel acceptable. Yeah. So try that line again for me about not having any friends and then the follow-up line after it and do something different and let's see what we get this time. Okay, I'm going to go first to the one above it first so I can lead into it. Have you ever started talking to someone and they understood you so deeply that you feel like you've always known them? Not really. I don't really have any friends. I talk to myself and sometimes to Sissy, but she's younger and doesn't really understand how I feel about things. She's skinny and can't understand what I go through. Totally different. Can you feel that? Yeah, I feel like I was in a sing-songy place in the sense of not going deep with her, like she wanted to not go deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now this, this time or the the first, yeah, the yeah. Now I'm really feeling what she's feeling and didn't want to feel. Yeah. That was really moving. That second one. I hit myself. Yeah, it was very rich. Okay. And that was a subtle shift, but a huge shift. And taking more time. Uh huh. Taking more time with the words. Uh huh. So that I could, so I myself could take them in. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that provides much better contrast when we see other dimensions. So maybe she does have an explosive moment. Well, we've got this extreme contrast now. More sadness. We've got uh-huh. we've got the underpinnings of everything that's going to happen. Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Okay, let's do one more. Then we'll stop. How do you know what's going on with people? Whose line was that? Wisdom says... I come when people need another way to understand what's going on with their feelings and thoughts. And Jem says, how do you know what's going on with people? Okay, there was something I didn't write down what I 
wanted on that. So I'm going to have you do the line before. I want you to back up just a little bit and then roll into how do you know what's going on with people? Okay. Who are you? Where'd you come from? My name is Wisdom, and I come when people need another way to understand what's going on with their feelings and their thoughts. How do you know what's going on with people? It's my job and my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. Okay, so let's look at contrast again, and let's look at contrast in both of them. Who are you? And I'm trying to focus, so I didn't write everything down. But Jim says two lines back to back. Who are you and why are you here? And where did you come from? Oh, where did you come from? Now, you can say those similar if it's all in the intention that you want, the context that you want. But it could be interesting to have a contrast on that. Almost like she's got one feeling like surprise or shock. And then, wait a minute, some kind of different, they're very similar lines. I mean, either it's a questioning. What I want to know, Rosalind, is are there dimensions in Jim around this questioning, like a curiosity and then like a, ooh, I'm going to be in trouble if there's a stranger in here, something. It's the only time in the whole story that she questions the reality of mm. where this person come from. Are you real? She never again, you know, say, asks her, like, are you a real person? Are you a, are you in my imagination? She never again asks anything like that. Okay. So she's really questioning reality? Um, if, this, if Jim is real. It's the only time... It's not so much questioning reality. It's the only time she doesn't assume that she's always been there as like another member of the family. She always talks to her like she's yeah. such a real person. And never really until the end when she's saying goodbye and wisdom says, would you come with me when I visit another child? Then she says, oh, well, how will I know how to find you or how will I... Mm -hmm. That's the only time they bring reality into it. So is it curiosity then? Yeah. Yeah. It's curiosity. Okay. Are there degrees of curiosity? Are there different shades of curiosity? Or is it, and 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 I'm not leading you in one direction or, in, or the other. Is she curious and really curious? Or... Is it all the same? And if it's all the same, that's okay. But if there is a dimension in there, I want to find it. Okay, I have a question for you. Okay. I could answer it there. It could be the same. And when I tried to find the difference, I got scared that it would end up too sing-songy, like where I'm... Okay. Okay. You know? Well, let's try it. Let's try it and see. And if it does become sing-songy, there might be a different way we can neutralize the sing-songy. Okay. I'll just go one sentence above. Yeah. One day when Jem scrunched her eyebrows at her own reflection, 
an image of an old woman appeared in the mirror. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Yeah. Okay. Didn't get sing-songy. And there was a difference. You got higher in pitch. It was elongated a little bit. Then you dropped down a little bit. Okay. This is so good. It's fun, right? So fun. So fun. And and we've got big things of contrast that we can play. And we've got little things of contrast that we can play. But that's the quest is to find the nuance everywhere. Even the places we can't imagine that there is another shade. Oh, there's another shade. I'll find it. Okay. Let's look at the line that comes after that, that I believe is wisdoms, something about a job, beloved purpose. Give me that line, Rosalind. I'm going to read the one above. How do you know what's going on with people? It's my job and my beloved purpose to visit people and make heart connection with them. Okay. Now, we possibly have three things, possibly, and I call this bookend, where we've got this, and we've got this, and we've got this. We may not. It depends on how you want it done. But for me, the contrast, it's my job feels very different to me than beloved purpose. I tried to make that clear when I said it. At first, I said, yeah. my job, you know. Yeah, I do this. This is what I do. And then I drop down as wisdom, but it's really my beloved purpose. Yeah. Okay. So this is perception reception. This is what I call quality, meaning it's clear to you and I'm receiving it and I'm not quite receiving it. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to bump it just a little bit. And you might even put a pause in between it's my job. I might need a little bit more of a pause there between it's my job and beloved purpose. I don't know that you need one after beloved purpose, but I want to clear shift. There are three things, Mm -hmm. job, the beloved purpose, and the heart connection. And I was okay with the heart connection part. But I was trying to go to make the purpose the middle so job was kind of low and flat. And then, oh, it's my, but really it's my purpose. And then I was trying to go more meaningfully. It's really about a heart connection. Yeah. Okay. Try it again for me and make each choice a little bigger. And let's just see what happens. Okay. How do you know what's going on with people? It is my job. And my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. Okay, good. Better. I want to look at the cadence on, I know I'm being so microscopic on this, but this is what the work is about. I think you need a pause after make to make, slight pause, a heart connection with people. I really want that to stand out. Oh, I, I love that. I even hear the difference. Yeah. It's like you drive up to make. I do this. I do this to make. Here's yeah, the big moment. You're emphasizing 
the work of making, the energy that it takes to make it. And I was only emphasizing the result, which is the heart connection. Right. So this tees it up better. Oh, yeah. Okay. Try the whole thing one more time with that pause in there for me. How do you know what's going on with people? It's my job. And my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. Okay. I don't think you need to emphasize make as much. And I would take that pause out in that back part of that line. But we've got the job, the beloved purpose, and then I want the line to flow through with no pause until I get to make heart connection. There's one pause in there I need you to pull out so that we can make this bigger impact. It's my job and my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. I don't think I had any pause in there. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. It's my purpose to visit people and to make a heart connection with them. Oh, after make, there's the pause? After make. Okay. And that may not ultimately work for you, you know, and that's okay. I just want to make sure heart connection. I mean, that's the most important part of the line, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that and her purpose. I mean, yeah, purpose is really good too. And I think you're teeing up purpose really well. That's set up really well. And the to make pause may not work. Don't even worry about it. Say it one more time for me, though, and let me listen. Just you go with what you want to go with, and let me just hear it. How do you know what's going on with people? It's my job and my beloved purpose to visit people and make a heart connection with them. Yeah, okay. I like that. I like it, I like that. Really love the way you said heart connection. I think... I could give you a note to say, don't get too emphasis, too much emphasis on make, but I don't think you will outside of this moment, because, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm going to push you to the limit when you're in front of me, because it's going to soften up when you get behind the mic. Well, it just gives me more choices than... I would have ever had. And maybe I won't remember all of them. I'm not going to write them in my book. I'm afraid I'll be busy, too busy reading my kids too much. I'm just going to take in the meaning of what you're telling me and trust that it's going to be interpreted and come out because you've given me so much. I can't believe that it wouldn't. Yeah. 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 and, And these are, I mean, it's perfectly fine. These are nuanced. This is why I talk about this is just next level. What's the next level from the greatness you've already got? Well, let's find some more shades and more nuances. And I'm so happy we started with the beginning because there isn't as much juice just right Mm -hmm. in. There's so much more juice later that it's going to be easier, I think. Yeah. Well, and you know, in the group, I don't know if I did this with you because we were doing a little bit of a different thing, but I will make my students, I will have them do a recording of a story And it's all vibrant and all this. And then I immediately switch them to now teach me something and it just all goes away. 
well, we've got to be able to transfer it over. So the juicy parts, it's really easy to tap into all that vocal movement, but I'm making my decisions when I hear that narrator. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all really, there's movement. Luckily, they already bought the book. When they- <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's going to be great. Do you know when you're going to record it? You know, I haven't decided yet. I thought I'd use some time after January. It's all about following in my life, just like we talked about. Mm -hmm. If we are being led, and if there is a bigger plan for everyone, not just some people, then we get that movement. And there's been no movement. Muse knows that I'm set up, but nobody's moved on it. So instead of my mind saying, you know, yeah. get on it. I'm just waiting to see. And obviously I'm glad I didn't do it already because now yeah. I have this time with you. So yeah. it's feeling like maybe soon. Um, yeah. Before this, it was a decision between Florida and Seattle. And I don't think it matters. I, I just don't. Yeah. They'll be because studios wherever they are. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you go back and forth between the two. Yeah. Well, the timing, it'll all be is it exactly as it should be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel just leaving something for your listeners. The question I hold myself to is, am I living the principles in everything or do I make an exception? Because now this is my book and now I do. Can you know, do we make these exceptions to our higher knowing of how to live when something happens like a death or a book or something we decide is so important that we have to control it and no exceptions is really really can bring us back to peace if we believe in the isness then it has to count in every situation not just certain ones yeah and that's the goal isn't it yeah yeah. Well, I used to have clients that were in their 20s and 30s, and they would tell me when they met their partner, they would do things differently. Of course, oh. <laughs> of course they wouldn't. They're going to do it now. They do it now because we yeah. practice every moment what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy, what an illusion. When I fill in the blank, then I can fill in the blank yeah no doesn't it doesn't work that way does it no thank you tracy this has been so amazing oh Rosalind, you just are such a gift thank you so much for coming on and letting us riff on this voicing of your book it's so special and i just can't wait to hear it when you get it recorded and i listeners you can maybe wait for the the audible, but I encourage you to go ahead and get the book. It's so good and leave Rosalind a wonderful review because she's just, it's such a very, very special story that I know everybody, no matter who they are, can really glean some wisdom from. Yeah. And one thing we didn't say, and the reason that Tracy asked for you to write a review is books are so dependent on how and getting it into as many people's hands is 
is the gift of the book. But there's a memoir in there and a Q&A about how to apply the fable to our lives. And we didn't say anything like that. I forgot about that. You want to touch on that for a minute? I totally forgot about that part of the book. That's like bonus stuff. Yeah, it's bonus, but it turns out that my life was so close to the fable with that wisdom character in Ireland that we thought that was another book. But my editor and I started crying when we realized, oh, my God, I lived this where a wisdom character stepped into my life. Yeah, she wasn't in the mirror, but she changed my life. And in the book, in the memoir portion, it talks about how I had never been suicidal in my life and then considered walking straight out into the ocean so that I would join Melissa in the horizon. So if you're looking at me and thinking, oh, well, that's great, she did it. She has this big life and her daughter died. Anybody with the tools that we teach, that wisdom teaches Jim in the fable can be extrapolated and applied to all of our lives. And the Q&A in the back shows where these principles came from. They're ancient. I didn't create them. I brought in some of modern psychology, but I did not come up with these principles. And when I was writing the book and I saw the freedom that I had in my life, I realized I was using the technique, if you will, the strategy of don't touch it. When noticing what are the hurtful thoughts that we keep on bringing back. So Jem in the story brings up her weight and her mother's imagined rejection of her. But we all have our subjects that we, our finances, our body, our partner, our work, our this or that, and we repeat them. And just noticing, ouch, these are the ones that hurt. Noticing, ouch, the ouch is not a bypass. You're saying, I see, I'm angry, I'm hurt, there's pain, but not adding, not adding to the story, nothing. In 90 seconds, you will have another thought or another feeling. Science shows us this. Mm -hmm. And so that very simple, it sounds so simple, it could hardly work, but it stops. It's a break in that mindset and it works wonders. It's a miracle. Really have a new life if you're willing to do that. Notice what's going on. Notice the ouch. And don't touch it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the death of a loved one. No. It can be anything. Any story that's hurting you. If you're perseverating, going over and over, repeating compulsively about your health or your partner, your child, that's hurting you to go over it and over. You know that. You want a break. We all want a break. It's a prison to go over things and over things. And so this gives us that pause that we need to have a new thought. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for letting me tell about the book in this kind of detail. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never done anything quite like that. I didn't even know if I've ever done live coaching on the Captivate the Room podcast. I didn't hear any. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. 
Uh-uh. That's what I did on the psychology of the voice show, but never done anything like this. And this takes me back to 35 years ago when I was hesitant to be a voice coach because I couldn't imagine how in the world that could be my gift and purpose after having been raised in silence. And I worked with actors directed plays all over the world. And it was still this same work, finding all the shades of all the characters, whether that's a character in a book or a play or all the shades of who we are. And I love it. I love the work. Yeah. Well, you're a genius at it. And the world is so appreciative that you have found a way to keep doing it because you did it in theater. Now you're doing it with entrepreneurs and next, I believe you're going to be doing with the authors yeah. in TLA, Thought Leader Academy, Sarah Canal. That's where we are together. And I think Muse Publishing is going to be promoting this video and sharing it. And they're just, if any of your readers are ready to publish in a beautiful and have a beautiful experience with a publisher, they are a traditional publisher and they produce beautiful books. There you go. There's it's beautiful. Book. And I'm glad you said something because before we stopped, I wanted to say, now I don't know the details around Muse, but it's my understanding, and I certainly want them to publish my book, but it's my understanding. It's Sarah, you will have to tell us who else created it, but it was created to make sure authors could have this amazing experience publishing a book. Tell us a little bit about Muse. I don't know that much about it. Well, Patty and Sarah had been long-term partners. And I think in more than book writing adventures, and Patty writes, I'm not going to give you her last name because she writes under a pseudonym, but she published with Sarah. And Sarah had published, um, I believe, two books, maybe more, certainly more articles and short stories. And they ran into all the difficulties that people have when they try to publish. One example is that Sarah knew somebody who could get her book into the bookstores at airports, and she was with a traditional publisher, and they said no, and that was it. And you have no rights. Once they, you sign away all your rights. So with Muse, one example of the gift of having a more personal relationship with your publisher is that it's traditional that the masters, you see it says MSW on the cover. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's traditional to take a master's degree off the cover. Oh. Unless PhD or more, they take your degree off. And I said, you know, it's really important. This is a teaching memoir, a teaching fable. It's really important that my credential be on there. And they said, okay. You know, it was it was no no fight. I could never have that it, with a regular traditional publisher. They did a beautiful job. The texture of the cover is just exquisite. It's awesome. It's awesome. really awesome. 
And I wanted my illustrator to be on the title page. And they said, no, it doesn't happen that way. You're the author. And I said, yes, but these illustrations are so beautiful. I would like to have him on the title page. They said, okay. So these were the big things. I think you have to, you know, yes, no publisher is going to call you weekly or even monthly and let you know how it's going. That's not how it works. But for all the big things that matter, I was noticing the formatting is so exquisite. You wouldn't know unless you knew how the spacing went. And there was a place when the typeset was correct, but the eye made it look wrong. And it looked like it was scrambled. It didn't make visual sense. They were able to tweak it. They were able to change the illustrations where it fit better the text. These are the things you don't get when you sign over your book to a traditional publisher. But you do get the ISBN number, you get the Library of Congress, you get all the benefits of a traditional publisher without so many of the impersonal situations, you know, the rules, just this is how it is. You're not a person. Yeah. You're always a person with Muse. I love that. So I I love that. About them. I, I could have gotten some background and given you if I knew we were going to have this conversation, but I can't say enough about them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've done a phenomenal job with your book and all the books that I've seen that they do. And of course, I don't know Patty, but I just like you love and adore Sarah. She's just one of the best humans alive. She really is. And she's the real deal. She, Mm -hmm. you know, she off camera is the same as on Mm -hmm. camera. And very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. But so are you, Rosalind. Very inspirational. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for being here, for sharing so much wisdom with us, both in the book and out of the book. And thank you, listeners. It's always great to have you with us. And that'll be it for today. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.